Too many people own dogs, declares a big report in the Atlantic Monthly at the moment. Dogs are getting anxious along with their owners. Too many people bought pets during the pandemic, cats as well. You can't look after them properly always. Certainly there's an argument in New Zealand for reducing cat numbers. Coincidentally, Dr Zazi Todd Sunday morning's go-to expert on both cats and dogs, is putting the finishing touches to a book on fear and anxiety in dogs, due to be published in 2024, and we'll probably talk to her when it comes out. But seeing as the topic is hot, here she is with us. Zazi Todd has answered many of your questions previously on both cats and dogs. Worth listening back to if you've recently acquired one of either. And she's the award-winning author of WAG, The Science of Making Your Dog Happy, and Purr, The Science of Making Your Cat Happy. She's the creator of the Companion Animal uh, blog and also has a column on psychology today. She lives in Maple Ridge, British Columbia. Uh, with uh, one dog and two cats and a husband, and she's a former psychologist at the University of Nottingham. Hello, Zazi. Nice to have you back on. Hello. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. Can we start with this piece from Rose Horowitz in The Atlantic before we move on? She quotes statistics which seem to show that as humans in this era get more anxious and stressed, We hear about that. So do pets. A U.S. study found that 83% of vets were prescribing anti-anxiety meds for dogs. Have you noticed the same trend, Zazi? Well, you know, with that figure, when you think of how many dog clients a single veterinarian has, I was actually surprised that it wasn't even higher. Almost three quarters of dogs have some kind of fear or anxiety and a noise sensitivity would be the most common one. So afraid of loud noises like fireworks or something like that. Um, So it is a big issue for dogs, although we can't say if it's more or less because we haven't got the kinds of research that would tell us if this is something that's actually increasing or not. Yeah, I can imagine that. But do you think life at the moment would be affecting dogs uh, and maybe more than cats? I think if a dog has some kind of fear or anxiety and they're showing that through their their behavior, that's harder for people to cope with than if a cat is fearful or anxious because the cat is probably going to run and hide and people can cope with that or maybe they don't even notice that. Whereas if your dog is lunging or barking, then you feel a bit embarrassed and it's really difficult to deal with so I think we notice it more for dogs than for cats they can um, kind of smell the difference between sweat from a happy person and sweat from a stressed person for example so they do pick up on that but there's actually a whole range of factors that cause fear anxiety and stress and some of it goes back to before the puppy is born because the genetics does play a role in it and early life experiences play a role and then how much socialization they get during the sensitive period for socialization which is from three until about 12 to 14 weeks and then of course bad experiences if they have bad experiences too so there's a whole range of different factors that play into it and it's actually really complex to understand where all of it is coming from. One of the things that we see as dog trainers, if a dog is very fearful and anxious and they are prescribed fluoxetine or something similar to that, that can help to support the training sometimes. So it's often the case that the psychoactive medication isn't enough on its own, that you still have to do some kinds of training or behavior modification with your fearful dog but the two of them can work together and then you actually get much better results especially with those dogs who are most fearful and most anxious because the 
psychoactive medications can help to get them like to a level where you, you can start to do training and it makes a difference. Whereas if a dog is really fearful and stressed, stress interferes with their ability to learn just in the same way that it interferes with our ability to learn. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, one hypothesis, I think, is that in trying to avoid inbred dogs from some breeders and based on the theory that mongrels are more well-adjusted, we are praiseworthily seeking animals from animal shelters which have been traumatised in ways that we and they have trouble coping with. Do you agree with that? Not entirely. I think there's a lot to unpack there. And I think dogs from shelters and rescues can make amazing pets. And especially if you get an adult dog who you know is friendly to people and to other dogs, if you adopt them from a shelter, you know that they're going to probably continue to be an adult dog who's friendly to other adults and uh, to other dogs as well. And that's really beneficial. And usually if you've gone to a good shelter or rescue, if the dog has behavior issues, they have done some work with them, or at least they've identified those issues, and often they will give you some support to work with it. So actually, when we look at people who get dogs from shelter and rescue, they're usually very satisfied with their pet, even if there are maybe some issues that they have. And the other thing is that puppies themselves that come from breeders, um, they can also end up having problems. And also, it's a big responsibility. Not everybody likes having a puppy. Some people prefer to start with an adult dog so I think it it depends but I, I would emphasize that most people are, are very happy if they do adopt a shelter and rescue dog okay it's good to hear that as well another theory is that we're we're having fewer children cats and dogs are replacing them for companionship and also that we've become helicopter parents not allowing our pets to have the rough and tumble socializing they were once used to Zazie yeah, it's definitely important to let dogs be dogs, which means giving them opportunities to engage in normal dog behavior. And that might be playing with other dogs, for example. And especially for puppies, we know that play with other puppies of the same age is actually really important for their future behavioral development. And it also is involved in the development of their stress system. So those opportunities to play as puppies really help them um, as they become adults. So I think it is important. And dog play can look scary if you don't know what to look for. Um, but it is good for most dogs. Most dogs like playing with other dogs. And another thing is that potentially because people, when they use aversive methods, we know that that can cause fear, anxiety and stress. So that's another potential cause of these issues as well. Okay, I'll get to the methods, but one more question before I do. There are animal behaviorists who believe that our animals have always been anxious. We just recognize it more now because of the destigmatizing of human anxiety and depression. Do you subscribe to this idea at all? I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I think the destigmatizing of fear and anxiety is a good thing for people. And it's a good thing for dogs as well. And I think one of the things is that we have become aware of how well medications, if prescribed by a vet, can work alongside the training. And also we know that when people have had psychoactive medications for themselves, then they're actually more likely to be willing to try them with their dog if, if their vet suggests that their dog needs them. So that's quite interesting as well. And definitely it's a good thing that it, it is destigmatized. However, that said, I do think the pandemic led to more fear and anxiety, uh, largely because of people not being able to socialize their puppies well because of where they got them from and also because we know that people who got puppies during the pandemic were more likely first time 
dog owners and first-time dog guardians unfortunately don't do quite as good a job as an experienced dog guardian and so their dogs are more likely to have behavior issues including fear and anxiety and that makes sense because they haven't had chance to learn all the things to do and they haven't had lots of practice at, at being a dog guardian yeah it does make complete sense you've written about separation anxiety how fair is it of us to go to work and leave the dog at home well sadly it's necessary for most of us to go to work so the dog has to be left at home alone and the thing is to try not to leave them for too long and there isn't a specific set of guidelines and certainly there isn't a specific bit of research on how long dogs can be left for but as a common guideline we actually use four hours which of course is not a full work day but it will depend on the dog because some dogs are actually happier being left for longer than that um, and if your dog is not happy with it there are lots of things you can do so you can get someone to come in and walk your dog whether that's a paid dog walker that you hire or it could just be a friend or a family member who maybe would just like to spend more time with dogs because sometimes you can have a really nice arrangement with someone who likes being like the dog's auntie or uncle or something and taking them out or of course you've got daycare and things like that so there are lots of things you can do to break up the dog's day and if you're really lucky and your dog likes it you can also take your dog to work with you which i know some people do very successfully as well yes that's true these days you advocate giving a dog control over as many situations as you can don't you and also giving a dog maybe problems to solve in its life absolutely so having control over things in the dog's life helps to reduce stress for them it also helps them if things are predictable so we decide practically everything in the dog's life so we do need to give them choices one of the ways that we can do that is actually to give them a safe space where they can go and they can be and if they go there we will leave them alone so that could be a dog bed it could be a crate where we never shut them in um, they can come and go as they please or it could be another room or a settee in another room where we just leave them alone so that's one choice that we can give them it gives them control over part of their environment as for problems, yeah, it's really good for dogs to have problems to solve. And they can be problems like food puzzle toys, which are wonderful. Or they can be problems like working out how to do tricks. So positive reinforcement training to do obedience behaviors or tricks is a really good way to get their brain engaged and give them things to do. And we know that this is good for dogs and good for their welfare. When you take your dog for a walk... It's good to slow down and let them smell smells. You see owners uh, wrestling with their dogs all the time on the street saying not again. Um, or even go on what I think you call sniffaris. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the sniffari. A sniffari is like a nose safari for dogs where you let them sniff as much as they want and of course the nose is really important for dogs it's their most important sense and so it's really important that we give them opportunities to sniff and when we take them for walks i mean your dog likes to sniff in lots and lots of different places in the really good spots they might spend a long time sniffing and they're figuring out who's been by already which dogs have been by, but also which wild animals have been by and, you know, who's left a bit of food that they shouldn't have left there, you know, like thrown out the car window or something like that. So they're getting a lot of information from their nose and it's really good for them. So 
Instead of hurrying your dog along on a walk, it's really helpful to slow down, give them that chance to sniff. And I think it's good for us too to kind of be looking around and paying attention to the world instead of just looking at your phone and trying to tug your dog along. Um, so I think it, it's, it's a good thing for the human-animal bond as well as for the dogs. When it comes to socialising, dog parks might not suit all dogs. Why? Yeah, I'm a big fan of dog parks. I think they're really good for most dogs, but not all dogs like to hang out with other dogs. Some dogs actually are afraid of other dogs, and those dogs shouldn't be going to the dog park. And the other thing is that for little dogs, we have to be a bit careful that they're not in a dog park with big dogs because that's not always very safe for them. So the little dogs need to have their own special little dog park that they go to, and that's much safer. So... Some dogs, when they go to the dog park, they're just going to have a whale of a time romping about with other dogs and they love it. But a few dogs will be showing body postures that show they're not entirely happy, such as a kind of lower posture or maybe a slightly tucked tail or something like that, or trying not to hang out with other dogs. If your dog doesn't like the dog park, then you shouldn't take them to the dog park. It's not like it's a compulsory thing. It's a choice of whether or not to go. If you leave your dog at home, during the day for more than four hours and you're thinking, well, I've left the dog outside in a kennel. It can run around. It's got tons of room. That's not the same exercise as walking, is it? When dogs get left in their yard or garden, it turns out that they actually don't typically do very much. So we imagine that they'll be running around having a whale of a time. <laughs> but when researchers have looked at this, actually, it's kind of a bit sad because they spend a lot of time paying attention to the house. And they, when they move around in the yard, to some extent, it's to do with where their person is in the house. So... No, it's not the same. They do, they're not as active as when they go on a walk. So it's good for them, even if they get to hang out in the yard all day, it's still good for them to go for a walk with you. And it's also still good for you to encourage them to run around a bit as well, because running is, is really good for them too. And use a no-pull harness, you've told us before. Dr. Zazi Todd is with us, the author of WAG, The Science of Making Your Dog Happy, and Purr, The Science of Making Your Cat Happy. You've worked with many fearful dogs, and you've said, told us before that even with the best training, a dog can start fretting. So if your dog is afraid, obviously afraid in certain situations, what should you do? You should certainly acknowledge it. So you should show your dog that you know that they're afraid. If your dog wants to be comforted, then you should comfort your dog. And that's one of those things people used to say that you shouldn't, but that we know that's not true anymore. You should comfort your dog. And the reason for that is because you're actually an attachment figure for them, kind of like a dog parent in a way. Um, so you're, your presence can help them to feel less stressed. So you comforting them will help. Uh, and not all wags, by the way, are friendly, are they? We need to know that. That's true, because people tend to assume that if the dog is wagging their tail that they're friendly. Often they are, especially if it's a really wide wag, and especially if the body is kind of wiggling with it. Those really happy dogs are lovely to see. But sometimes you get a narrow wag, which is with the tail that being quite upright and that's actually a warning sign you don't want to approach a dog when you see that kind of wag because they're maybe feeling a bit threatened but also maybe feeling a bit like they're potentially going to aggress towards you if you approach them so it's actually really important to know that not all wags are friendly after all yeah and if a dog is a bit of a scaredy cat 
uh, making them feel the fear and dirt anyway is not a good idea, not only at the dog park, but anywhere really. That's right, because it's something that we call flooding and it can put them into a situation where they're going to feel even more scared. So it risks making things even worse. And sometimes dogs will get so scared that they can't even move and they won't do anything. And that's actually really quite upsetting to see when a dog is like that. And unfortunately, in the past, people sometimes used to mistake that for being calm especially like at the vet, they would think, oh, my dog is being calm at the vet, but actually they were just terrified. So if you recognize the signs that your dog is afraid of something, they're not going to get used to it. Don't put them in a situation where they have to face it because probably you're just going to make things much, much worse and then it will take you even longer to sort it out. Uh, You've told us this before, but dogs playing tug of war with you, irresistible to many owners, a good idea or not? It's a great idea. It's a really nice idea because it's one of those things that engages the predatory sequence in dogs. So if you think back to their ancestors, the ancestors of modern day wolves, when they catch food, they're looking for food, they would kind of tear it apart like that. So it's engaging them in a normal behavior. It's fun for them. It's fun for you. And scientists have actually tested what effect it has on dogs. So it must have been the most fun experiment ever to do, playing tug of war with lots and lots of dogs. Um, Basically, the dogs enjoyed it. It did not make them less obedient. Actually, it seemed to help improve the human-animal bond. So it's a really good thing to do with your dog. And another thing which is kind of similar that a lot of people don't know about is to use something called a flirt pole. A flirt pole is kind of like a cat one toy, but for dogs. So you move it around and the dog gets to chase it. And again, that's something that's using part of the predatory sequence. So it's another really fun thing for dogs to do. All right. Dogs like doing that as well as cats. Yeah, they Fantastic. do. And I I didn't used to know that, but actually um, I've, I've certainly seen dogs pouncing on it. It's something they really love, but you do need to know that the dog is going to give the thing back to you at the end. I just want to ask you, um, after all that fantastic advice, before we go, about the American XL bully, which will be banned in the UK by the end of the year after some serious attacks and I think a couple of fatal ones. XL bully dog breeders in New Zealand, I was seeing, um, say the problems with the owners, not the dogs. The British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, says no, it's clear that this is not about a handful of badly trained dogs. It's a pattern of behaviour and it cannot go on. Who's right in this debate, please, about the bully, the XL bully? Well, unfortunately, I'm not in favour of breed-specific legislation. The UK actually has had it for a number of years with certain other breeds. And despite that, dog bites have been increasing in the UK. And I think responsible dog ownership is really really important and we often look to the Canadian city of Calgary as an example of that because they've done some wonderful work around responsible dog ownership which has helped to bring down the number of bites so they do really well and the thing is aggression is very complex and any dog can bite and if you ban certain breeds it gives the impression that the other dogs are safe and unfortunately that's not true it's important to remember any dog can bite so you need to respect all the dogs that you come into contact with. Okay, interesting to have your opinion on that. Dr. Zazi Todd, always a pleasure to talk to you and thank you for giving us your time today. Thank you very much.